the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and we have a show for you again today. You're going to want to make sure you stick around for our interview with Stephen Camarota, Dr. Stephen Camarota. He is the Director of Research at the Center for Immigration Studies on the immigration question. And I'll tell you, the reason why is because I'm starting to get mad. I'm starting to get annoyed. I'm starting to get uh, ticked. And the reason why is because I'm watching everybody ignore the border and immigration to the detriment of our nation, as well as to the detriment of their politics. I think they'd be more successful if they actually understood where the American people were. And that's it's getting me annoyed. I'm getting annoyed. So, first of all, uh, Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Uh, don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email that goes out 8 a.m. Uh, East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time, Monday through Friday. Gives you what you need to know, the wink. What you need to know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, some key stories, a key topic or two, and uh, you're going to want to check it out. Today's wink uh, earlier was about uh, the great Eagle Council that's happening. We're having Eagle Council on September 17th uh, in St. Louis with uh, a whole bunch of great speakers on the pro-life issue, as well as speakers on the issues facing the country, including the one I'm about to get to. So go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the wink, as well as uh, see what's going on with Eagle Council. Okay, what you need to know today, uh, the the news came out uh, of uh, Europe that Angela Merkel, Angela Merkel, uh, the uh, chancellor, former chancellor uh, of Germany, she has been given a very prestigious award. It's the Felix Hofheit Boynian, Boynie, Boynie, UNESCO Peace Prize. So UNESCO, of course, is a UN entity, and uh, it is uh, this annual prize has been created by the United Nations uh, and by UNESCO and to give to world renowned figures for their work. Uh, in significantly contributed to the promotion, research, safeguarding, or maintenance of peace. So I, I don't know why this is different than the Peace Prize, the Nobel Peace Prize. But anyway, it's been around since 89, and it has honored people like Nelson Mandela, uh, Frederick de Klerk of South Africa, Jimmy Carter. And it's got this incredible international jury made up of people from the IMF and uh, diplomats, retired diplomats, and uh, a Nobel Prize winner is on there. And uh, there's even an astronaut, all kinds of people. And so uh, even actually uh, Forrest Whitaker, the actor, is uh, a, a UNESCO Goodwill ambassador, and he's on this jury. So the jury voted. And the jury voted, if you can believe it, they gave Angela Merkel an award. Now, Angela Merkel retired from politics uh, about a year or so ago after her ser- service as chancellor of Germany. A long career. And when you retire, you start to get awards, right? You go around and you see that. But she received an award, the UNESCO Peace Award, Peace Prize. She received the award particularly because she, in 2015, 
undertook what they call the courageous decision to welcome more than 1.2 million refugees from Syria, Iraq, Eritrea, Afghanistan. And it says this is the legacy she leaves. Now, there's almost nothing that I would say was emblematic of the breakdown of Europe in the last 10 years that captures it more than this decision. The decision by Angela Merkel, then she was the uh, chancellor of Germany, to unilaterally let in 1.2 million refugees, not in a, in a 10-year period, not in a 15-year plan, in a, immediately 1.2 million refugees. And if you visit Germany and if you talk to people, they will say it is true. If that was her goal, she transformed Germany that you have people thrust into the communities there in a, in a way that is transformative. So the idea that the, uh, you know, the um, UNESCO, the UN and its affiliated organizations, UNESCO would, would decide that this was the act. This was the policy that they would reward says everything you need to know about the state of the world. Do you know that there's 83 million people in Germany population. So 1.2 million is almost 2% of the population has been replaced, has been replaced by one decision by a bureaucrat, by Angela Merkel, in alignment with the European Union and the UN and extra national organizations. The idea being that they know she knows better and it doesn't matter. And there's nothing about the nation of Germany that is not, you know, it doesn't matter if 2% of the country is quite literally 2% added of people that are not German, that have no connection to Germany, except at this point, they have gratitude for being put there, being allowed in. But that doesn't necessarily translate into anything cohesive. And so is it any surprise that in America, we have an American president who has changed the border policies and looked the other way on some of the existing policies, but so that so much so that we're having by 300 by count, by the count that's admitted 300,000 coming in every month, 300,000, almost 2 million total in the last year. But that's what they count. That's what they're admitting to us. We don't even know what the full number is. So in America, we're talking about 350 million people here, and we're talking about three, maybe 4 million people admitted, 5 million people admitted in the last year. Certainly since Joe Biden has gotten in office, the number is close to 5 million. We don't even know. We don't even know. And we have, again, the transformation of our nation, not by a policy of our Congress, not by a discussed and reasoned and considered policy of the people. No, we just have the policy of the people in power to change America. This is not about uh, a tax rate. This isn't about um, whether you have prefer gas over oil or solar over gas or whatever. This is about dramatically changing who we are and how we live. And when we talk in a few moments with Steve Camarota, one of the reasons I have him on, Dr. Steve Camarota from the Center for Immigration Studies, is he has written and spoken about the dramatic cost. There is a huge cost, tens of billions of dollars a year to our policies that allow immigrants, not even just illegal immigrants, but immigrants, legal immigrants into this country without any plan or system that makes sense to we the people. It's not we're not discussing it seriously. It's not being put forward seriously. It's just happening to us. It's happening to us. It's happening to our nation at a huge financial cost 
And then, and again, no one is talking about this. Angela Merkel didn't talk about it for Germany. People aren't talking about it. what's the impact on the nation, on the cohesiveness of the nation, on people buying into the nation, on people buying into the values. How do you handle that? I'm not ashamed or embarrassed or afraid to say I want more American values. And I'm not ashamed, embarrassed or, uh, or afraid to say that in the past, when we welcome people, we expected that they buy into those values. 150 years ago was my ancestors coming from places like Ireland and and Northern Europe. But for other people, it's all over the place, all over the world, all over the world. They came when they got to America. They bought into the American values. They bought into the American system. They bought into the American way of life. We had a way of seeing that happen. And currently, like Germany, Angela Merkel, what you need to know is Angela Merkel got an award. So will Joe Biden. For the breathlessly unhelpful, bad for the country policies that they're undertaking. This is what they want. This isn't one person's decision. This is what the left broadly across the world wants. They want the end of nations where people share certain values, share certain identifying identity. They want that to end. They're not ashamed. They're not embarrassed. They're not afraid. And they give each other awards about it. They congratulate each other. You would think that in her long history, and she did some things, Angela Merkel, that were historic in terms of leadership. I don't know. I can't listen. I'm not an expert on Germany. I don't care to study it too closely. But you would think this one she'd be embarrassed about, that she would say this was a disaster. It cost Germany tons, billions of dollars. It transformed communities. It's been a nonstop challenge. And in the long run, it's a transformation of Germany, of the German nation, by one woman, by one set of policies. What you need to know is that's no way to decide the future. And in America, we have both parties that too often run from this discussion and run from this issue. They want to talk about high gas prices and inflation. When the top issue in my mind is the border and the immigration policy and what's happening to this country. It's a monstrous issue in terms of our future, in terms of changing, in terms of changing America, transforming America. We better address it. All right. We got to take a break um, and uh, we'll be back. We'll talk with John Schlafly and Stephen Camarota after the break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. That's what you need to know. And we'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Now, you heard me a few days ago, might have been late last week, as I discussed with our old friend and frequent guest, uh, Todd Benzman, on the program. We were talking about the Center for Immigration Studies has a piece that posted a few days ago on how NPR was falsely uh, was spinning, but they were spinning by trying to tell us that uh, facts that were uh things that were false. They were saying things were false that weren't and such and such. And anyway, so the piece was written by Stephen uh, Camarota, who's over at the Center for Immigration Studies. He's the director of research, digs into a lot of these uh, issues and these facts around here. And I got him on the on the show. I'm grateful to have him back on. Stephen, welcome back to the program. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So first, you're, you're, you know, your role is a research guy. So you're seeing a lot. You see the field of a lot of arguments that happen through research. But when NPR wrote this piece, they basically uh, were spinning against the truth 
sort of and and or easy to debunk. I guess my question first is, is this the most brazen you've seen someone like NPR? Is it a sign of desperation or is this business as usual? Well, look, I mean, in the larger political context, there's an unfortunate tendency. And I guess everybody does it. Um, a lot of people in the mainstream media do it. Uh, but, you know, you do see people on the right do things like this. Well, yeah, sure. People, yeah, people, um, people don't know if they only knew what I knew, they would think what I think. And, <laughs> right. and their, their opinions, unlike mine, are all based on misconceptions. And this really encapsulates it or kind of, you know, really personifies that problem, at least in an outlet like NPR, that they could literally say the following. Well, some immigrants are barred from welfare programs. Therefore, it is absolutely a myth. It's disinformation. It's just wrong to think that immigrants access welfare programs at higher rates. Um, right. All they would have needed is access to Google, and they would have seen that they're, you know, the debate on how to think about these questions. But no serious person can look at the data and say, oh, well, clearly uh, immigrants use these programs at lower rates. That is simply categorically false. And for them to suggest that the opposite is just unambiguously false is, is, um, is very problematic. Well, it's a disservice. It, 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 well, it's a problematic and a disservice. And again, we're talking with uh, Stephen Camarota, who's over at the Center for Immigration Studies. But is it, is it in t- intentional? Is it, a, is it a way to try to um, distract and, and persuade people of one thing? Or is it just an error? I mean, there are some really, you know, some things have happened in, in, the, in the journalism field where a lot of reporting is being done by less well-trained and younger people and all. Is it a mistake? Or is it intentional? And maybe say it differently. Is it such a blind spot that even when they don't know it's intentional, it's like a mindset? They're not having a meeting that says lie about it all. They're just saying we all know better than everyone else. We've got to keep explaining it to them. Yeah, I'm sure the people at NPR didn't say, look, let's how can we deceive the public? How can we cast them in, right. a, in, a, right. in the worst light? What, what it, way it works there, I'm sure, is, look, they got this one fact that is true that some immigrants are barred from uh, welfare programs. And that must mean that um, immigrants overall use the programs less. They didn't think about it. They didn't research it. They just got one idea in their head. If they found some document on the Internet, it just was confirmation bias. We all are guilty of confirmation bias. We start with an assumption. And what do you know? Everything we find kind of supports that. So um, so but this seemed to really, uh, uh, you know, just take it to an extreme. So in Uh, case your listeners are wonders, I'll tell them that depending on how you define welfare, yeah. Um, basically, we have survey data on this even from before COVID. So, you know, COVID may have affected things. But before COVID, we have data from what's called the Survey of Income and Program Participation, explicitly designed by the government to capture welfare use by, Democra- by demographic characteristics. It's collected by the Census Bureau. And it does include uh, questions about who's foreign born. That is, people who are not U.S. citizens at birth. And it includes illegal immigrants. And um, it shows that 49 percent of households headed by illegal immigrants access one or more of the major welfare programs, including cash, food, Medicaid or housing. And uh, the corresponding figure is 32 percent for the native born. So about half of immigrant households access the welfare system, about a third of native headed households or households headed by people born in the United States. Um, Now, it depends on which programs you include. Of course, 
There is one big welfare program that you might say is not. That's the earned income tax credit. You do have to work to get it. On the other hand, it is a means tested anti-poverty program. And people who get that big cash program uh, don't pay any federal income tax. And again, you have to be poor uh, uh, um, to get it. It's a cash payment. And if you, if you take that program out, then it's 45% for the immigrant households and 28% for the native-born households. So the, the, the gap remains. And the big gap is in the food programs and Medicaid, uh, especially if you don't count the earned income tax credit for cash. Um, um, anyway, so that's let me let me ask you again. We're talking with Stephen Camarota from uh, over at the Center for Immigration Studies. Um, so the point here, one point here is if we're going to have an adult conversation about what it means to have hundreds of thousands of people per month coming across the border, we ought to know what it costs. And when you get the NPR doesn't isn't straight with everybody about what it costs. Again, if you decide you don't care that the cost is so high, because let's be clear, Stephen, I said this to Todd Benzman. If if an immigrant comes across and accesses one thousand dollars a month of benefits, if the person doesn't come, that's one thousand less. It's it's not just compared to the the, the citizens who he, who's here. If a citizen accesses a, a welfare for five hundred dollars, an immigrant accesses for a thousand. That's that's a difference, right? We're seeing that. You're talking about that. I think that's real. But it's also something to say, if you had a policy that said, I'm not ready for the one to come, they get zero. I mean, the number would be different. That's a part of this. And again, what I find crazy is that n- neither party is having this conversation about what's the real cost, not the not the uh, benefit of somebody doing a job that somebody likes. I, I get that. I see it. But what the actual cost is. Right. Uh, absolutely. Right. Um, one of the problems with bringing people in to do low wage jobs in general, whether you bring them in legally or illegally, is people who do low wage jobs, by definition, um, people with modest levels of education don't make much. So even right. if they're paid on the books, they don't pay much in taxes, but they tend over time to use a lot in services. Um, and one of the big things that's associated with is children. One of the ways one of the reasons Somewhere around 25 to 35 percent of the immigrant households in this government data, where I was telling you, like half of the immigrant households use welfare are are headed by an illegal immigrant. And how can those illegal if, if that's the case, you might think, well, wouldn't they wouldn't their use be like zero? And that would pull the whole average down for all the foreign born. But doesn't work that way because both legal immigrants who are new arrivals and do have some bars on them and illegal immigrants who are not supposed to use these programs, uh, they can use some of them, is that they all have U.S.-born children. And those U.S.-born children have complete access to the welfare system, just like any other American citizen. So you have a lot of illegal immigrant families who live in public housing or especially get uh, food stamps. Their kids are signed up for everything from free school lunch to WIC. Those programs illegal immigrants are allowed to use. And of course, a very large fraction of illegal immigrants have children who are signed up for Medicaid. And so that's why you get these high use rates among the foreign born overall, or even among illegal immigrants, um, because so many illegal immigrants um, can access these programs through their children. Also, 
without a long explanation, a very large fraction of illegal immigrants actually have valid social security numbers, which allow them to access things. Um, a lot of asylum applicants do. A lot of people who are here legally and then overstayed have valid socials. There's a lot of ways for illegal immigrants to access this, uh, this system. And, uh, and, and legal immigrants access welfare at relatively high rates, too. Um, it's not clear why, but one reason is probably that there's just very efficient social networks for uh, mm. for mm. spreading information in immigrant communities on what you're eligible for. So the, the data doesn't lie. We have high use rates in the data. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Dr. Stephen Camarota is our guest. And by the way, I should say uh, he's over at Center for Immigration Studies, the director of research over there. A lot of writing over there. He is himself has testified before Congress numerous times, especially on the issue of the impact of, uh, of immigration. He's got a, a Ph.D. from University of Virginia. Um, and uh, last kind of line of question. Does this include this uh, calculation, the cost of education? I mean, uh, and, no, and this is just welfare. Right. Right. So, I mean, and, and education is, is guaranteed. I mean, that's guaranteed that you cannot say, I'm sorry, you're here illegally or you're uh, new to the community. You can't go to school, public school. The, the, and and we can debate that another time. But that's the law. Right. So that's another cost. That's built oh, right. In well, here. that would trump everything. Right. Because the United States is spending, you know, very, very roughly fifteen thousand dollars a kid. And it's just assume away all the language instruction that uh, the children of right. immigrants may need. You're looking at somewhere around four to four to four point five million children of illegal immigrants in public schools. So, you know, it's easy to get to 50 billion dollars a year uh, as a consequence on public education for uh, mostly. And this is an important point. The U.S. born children of, uh, of immigrants, so of illegal immigrants. So. This is an important fact. Once an illegal immigrant comes and settles in the United States, and if you're not going to make them leave uh, or prevent them from coming in the first place, the jig is up. You either enforce your immigration laws or you shut up about the costs. There's no way to stop illegal immigrants from accessing public education or welfare programs or the earned income tax credit sometimes through their U.S. born children. There's just there's no way to stop it. Um, either, again, you for force the law or you accept the costs and employers like it because they get a worker that they want. And remember, to access welfare, you can work and get food stamps. You can work and live in public housing. And that's mostly what we're talking about. You, you work and you get the earned income tax credit, your kids get free lunch or the WIC uh, nutrition program. So it's not like they're not working. The native born who get a lot of welfare work intermittently, but they do work. That's not what's happening. If you had to put it in a bumper sticker, it's there's a high cost to cheap labor. But yeah, yeah. Um, but but the but the employer doesn't see that, right? The employer, mm-hmm. he just gets the worker he wants and the costs are diffuse. They're born by taxpayers. And it's not happening, just final point, because the immigrants are lazy and they all came to get welfare. It's that in the modern American economy, people with modest uh, levels of education don't make very much, regardless of legal status. And they and their children tend to access a lot of programs that we've developed over the last 50, 60 years. And that's the bottom line. So you have it's, to enforce the law or accept the costs. Yeah, it's um, it's extraordinary. Well, uh, Stephen Camarota, Dr. Stephen Camarota over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. I'll put this piece up on social media. Thank you, as always, uh, for what you guys are doing. I, I keep telling Todd Benzman I, I, everything I can do to try to get the uh, issue covered and get people talking about it, because I think, in, in, and we've covered this before, the voters care about it. Not all the voters, but it's in the top couple of issues. But uh, it's almost impossible to get real coverage. 
in-depth coverage, even by so-called conservative outlets. So I'm glad you guys are out there and thank you for your help. Thanks for having me. Okay, we'll take a break, everybody. And don't forget, I'll put up on social media uh, Dr. Stephen Camarota's information and a link to where his writings are. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with our old friend, John Schlafly. John Schlafly and his brother, Andy, continue the decades-long tradition of the late Phyllis Schlafly writing a weekly column uh, called the Schlafly Report. It, uh, it, it uh, debuts over at townhall.com and is also available at phyllisschlafly.com, phyllisschlafly.com, where all of his uh, columns are archived. So welcome back, John. How are you? Great, Ed. How are you today? I'm doing fine. So the title of this week's column, Court of Appeals Should Halt Anti-GOP Prosecutions. Now, I, I actually read this one and I, I, I smiled to myself because to me, this is kind of something Phyllis uh, Schlafly used to do. See something that's complex that people are getting 30,000 or 50,000 foot views of and go in deeper and say, look, this is what is happening. Actually, this is what should occur. So I thought it was a great uh, column because it, people aren't really tracking. They, they don't really know. They know there was a raid on Mar-a-Lago and they know that things seem a bit out of control in cities with prosecutors, but they don't quite know. So, John, walk us through exactly what you and Andy saw and see and what you want to happen the solution. Well, Ed, uh, this has been going on for a number of months or perhaps a year. Uh, uh, a, a local prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, that is the large county that includes Metro Atlanta, right. has been, you know, poking around into the 2020 election looking to charge Republicans. Now, first of all, they shouldn't, they, the, that pros, prosecutor should not be doing that in the first place. But the latest thing is that she, I believe it's a she, Fannie Willis, the prosecutor there in Fulton County, has subpoenaed Lindsey Graham, Rudy Giuliani, and Jenna Ellis, and uh, all of whom are outside the state of Georgia, and uh, trying to force them to come to Atlanta to give testimony under oath to a special grand jury that has been called to uh, investigate, supposedly, what in misconduct by Republicans in connection with auditing what really happened in 2020. Now, you know, that raises so many, so many questions. And the very first thing is that the United States Constitution protects sitting members of Congress from being questioned in any other place, as the Constitution reads, for what they say or do in connection with their official business. And uh, so that's a start right there. And Lindsey Graham has bought his, brought his challenge all the way to the Federal Court of Appeals. Uh, 
But well, then but, but, got- so, so John, John, let me pause for a second, because I, I, I asked you what the solution was, and so we should get to it. But let me pause on the description, because this is what I mean by people not realizing. We have a local prosecutor. So it is true. Been a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, of um, um, inks, ink spilled in the pursuit of saying something like this. Every uh, state has its own election authority. It's not federalized elections, and we want that. And then, of course, what we have to say, if we're according to the conventional wisdom, is all 50 states and any commonwealths did perfect elections. You're not allowed to say there wasn't an imperfect election. In this case, the prosecutor's not going after the election of 2020, right? The prosecutor's going after people who had questions about the election of 2020. Ed, you put it better than I did, Ed. That is exactly, exactly the point. And of course, the prosecutor has no business doing that. I mean, we don't. We all right. have the right to, you know, in all fifty states, to question what really happened in Fulton County on the night where we saw video of uh, a variety of shenanigans taking place outside of the view of, uh, you know, by hidden that were later exposed by surveillance cameras. I mean, come on, uh, we've all seen that. Can't we right. ask questions about it? And yet, the prosecutor there is trying to. You know, as you say, not audit what happened, but 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 terrorize right Republicans right. who are asking questions about what happened. Right, and 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 John, I guess my before we get to the solution on this one, uh, my the, the parallel would be in cities across the country, we have seen prosecutors elected in in hard left, especially hard left, um, you know, cities, and they've said. I will no longer enforce the laws that have been passed on things like um, burglary or so in, in, in San Francisco, you got a situation in California broadly where in the big cities, people come in and they grab whatever they want and they walk out because the cops and the, and more importantly, the prosecutors have said, we're not going to enforce those property crimes. I'm the prosecutor. I get to decide what laws I want to enforce. It's not, not what's intended. In, in this case, in Fulton County, we're going even one further, it's one thing if you make San Francisco into a lawless city where people are sleeping on the streets and drug dealing and drug use is rampant, whatever you, you say after a while, you say, I don't want to be there. In this case, what the, what the prosecutor's done is one step further. And, I, and this is where I think it parallels the Mar-a-Lago raid. It parallels the Mueller, Mueller, Mueller uh, hoax. It parallels um, the January 6th Select Committee. A prosecutor saying, I have authority under American law, local law in this case, state law. I'm going to use it to impanel a grand jury. And then the grand jury, which is, as people say, you can a, a prosecutor can have a grand jury indict a ham sandwich because there's no defense attorneys in there. There's no right to co- contradict the prosecutor, it's just a prosecutor. In this case, they're chasing down quite literally political speech, if not just straight up free speech. So it, 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 this is a logical conclusion, if I can say, of what we've seen going on for five years. Yes. Exactly. And of course, you know, you know, there's no doubt that the ultimate target is Donald Trump. And the goal of that is to prevent Trump from running for president again. I mean, so this is all part of a much bigger picture. You know, it's it's the same as the raid. And and, uh, uh, so, you know, now, of course, federal prosecutions uh, supposedly under Department of Justice policy. Yeah. um, the prosecutions that have political fallout should be suspended during the election. But, you know, the, the, the local prosecutor in Atlanta is paying, is paying no attention to that. 
Right, right. Um, John Schlafly is who we're talking to. Again, if you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you'll see all of his and Andy, his brother Andy's columns, a weekly column. It runs over on townhall.com live on usually late Tuesday night and then available at phyllisschlafly.com. John, so in this case in, in Georgia, um, is your sense when you, you, you're into the details, you and Andy, uh, Lindsey Graham has a way to say, hey, I was I was a senator. Don't mess with me. But the rest of these folks, I mean, um, wh- what does a Jenna Ellis do when she's Joe Citizen? And they're trying to say we have a, a duly uh, executed, uh, you know, uh, subpoena, I guess it is, to force her to testify. I mean, who, who, who quashes that? Well, that would take some imaginative legal work, and it may be an issue of uh, alleging and then proving that, uh, you know, federally protected rights are being abused and uh by a local state court and there are civil rights laws to uh were which were written as you know in the uh, you know after the civil war that were designed to protect against that type of activity mm-hmm. so we may have to look at that so i don't know quite what the answer is but what we hope with this column is to raise the level of concern about what is going on there because this is not going to stop with jenna ellis I mean, she's just a relative small fry. Their aim, right. you know, the aim is Donald Trump. Well, and uh, we're talking with John Schlafly, who's someone who keeps calling John. So we'll find out after who that is. But uh, John, um, but the other reality of that is, uh, you know, broadly, uh, Jenna Ellis is let's 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 walk this back. Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani are famous lawyers, big time famous lawyers. They're the sort of name partner in a firm. Jenna Ellis is an accomplished attorney and she's she worked in the administration. She's been around. She's got a public presence and pretty quickly. And I, I have this experience with the January 6th defense. You know, I'm, I'm working with the lawyers there. I represent a couple of the defendants, the January 6th defendants pro bono and a couple and a bunch of the lawyers. And they don't want to, their face out there. They barely want their name on the pleadings because they know they'll be targeted by the media, by the uh, the uh, by the, the uh, 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 big tech and, and social media. And you don't have to go any further in Georgia than Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker spends night and day defending himself against allegations from 30 years ago when the current senator Warnock is actually in a divorce that has a lot of the characteristics that they keep hitting Herschel Walker on, but it doesn't matter. You can say it over and over again. And my point here, John, is the chilling effect, which you reference, you and Andy reference, the chilling effect on the First Amendment right to criticize election fraud, that's real. But the chilling effect on just people raising their voice because Jenna Ellis loses her law license, for example, or finds herself in a, in a, in a, in a world of problems. It costs her money. It costs her time. It costs her where at a certain point, the rest of the country looks up and says, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through what Paul Manafort did. I don't want to go through what Jenna Ellis did. I'm not going to help Trump. Well, um, you're exactly right, Ed. And, uh, so, uh, and and the, the the you know the combination of all of these things is a threat to you know and and the the irony and the annoying thing is all these people on the left are talking about saving our democracy. Well, they're the ones who are attacking our democracy yeah. well, by using these techniques of lawfare, many people call it, yep. in order to basically eliminate one of the main political parties in our country and the leading presidential candidate in 2024. I mean, we just can't put up with this. This can't be allowed. 
Well, you know, that just I'm reminded of, of uh, Tucker Carlson, who did a, a segment. I got to go find it where he basically says he he used to think that conservatives were kind of um, were being a little bit over the top when they would say the following thing. And then Tucker went through and said, it's clearly true. Whatever they're accusing us of, that's what they're doing. That's actually what they do. Whatever they accuse the, the people of, that's what they are doing. It's, it's just right. sort of incredible. So when they say, oh, you know, the, there's there's, uh, um, you know, you people are, are are threatening the election system with your talk. It's because they're threatening the election system. When they say there's a threat to democracy, there's no greater threat to democracy in this country than the January 6th Select Committee using its power to destroy people and it's bully pulpit to make a third of the country believe something that's patently false. Like there's nothing bigger. There's no bigger threat to the country than that. And yet here we are. Right. So that's, I think that's a well said, John, an important uh, point. All right, John, I got to go. Unfortunately, I went on long John Schlafly, everybody, he and his brother, Andy, they write the Schlafly report. It posts over at townhall.com. You can find it there each week, but also it's archived at Phyllis Schlafly.com, Phyllis Schlafly.com. And you go back and read every week. The guys, uh, the brothers do this and they're good columns. Great columns like this one that give you some insight. So thank you, John. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. and We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. American politicians and education busybodies sometimes suggest that the South Korean school system is one the U.S. should copy. However, Korean education methods and practices actually should be avoided. A standardized test reigns supreme over the future of Korean students, and a top-down system of state-controlled curriculum prevents local control and teacher creativity. Korean classrooms are filled with sleepy teenagers who nap during boring mandatory daytime classes because they must stay up late at night attending tutoring courses for which their parents pay. In 2011, Korean parents spent almost $18 billion on tutoring to supplement public education. So many students sleep during class that special forearm pillows are sold to make sleeping at their desks more comfortable. Many students who want to do well on the all-important state-administered test that students must take at age 18 have to attend after-school tutoring late into the night. Special police patrols go out at night to shut them down at 10 p.m., but many remain open until 2 a.m., Despite ample evidence that Koreans' public education system is not adequate, some American politicians continue to suggest that we should copy South Korea. U.S. Secretary of Education Arne Duncan has twice chastised American parents for not being more like parents of Korean students. American parents need to be aware that the system some want us to emulate is actually very complex and contains some very bad ideas. We do not have to look across the globe to find the best educators for our children. Most of what is wrong with American education could be remedied by giving parents more control over what is taught and what is not taught to their children. We should not turn over our children's futures to a government bureaucracy. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The liberal agenda is corrupting classrooms in colleges and schools across the country. 
If you're a parent, teacher, or administrator who really cares about our children, we promise to keep you informed at phyllisschlafly.com. And let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me um, revisit for a second. I got a text uh, from one of you um, that a longtime listener, actually someone who had listened and only saw reference to this uh, online on my, I think my Twitter feed. Uh, The first reader that I mentioned the other day, Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, she wrote over 30 books. uh, One, actually two of them. There are two books related to her effort to make sure to teach kids how to read. And the one is called The First Reader. That's a book that if you want to teach your kids to read, it's got page by page the phonics instructions so that you can teach your kid to read. It's really, really well done. Phyllis did all the research and studying and all like she always would to do that. And it's very, very popular. It's called First Reader. Now, if you go to phyllisschlafly.com and go into the store there, you the store online to purchase things, you'll see lots of Phyllis's books. And there will be the First Reader and a couple of variations. The First Reader, there's a workbook that goes along with it. So the way to find out more is go to phyllisschlafly.com, phyllisschlafly.com, and go to the store there and click on the information. You can also, by the way, on Google, do a, or on any search engine, do a search for Phyllis Schlafly, first reader, and some some of her writings on the topic will come up. But uh, that was the answer to the request someone had about where exactly to go to buy the books. PhyllisSchlafly.com. Go to the store, uh, the, the link for the store button, and you can purchase the books there. All right. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, as well as Joanna Spilger, our associate producer, uh, for another great program. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.